He's got a beautiful backswing. Dad, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward with you as always. And we have a mega show for you guys today. We're going to recap the John Deere Classic, the Women's U.S. Open, and Live London from last week. And then after the break, we have a lot to get into as well. We have the State AM up at Southern Hills that we're going to update you guys on and then get you ready for the Genesis Scottish Open coming up later in the show. Fellas, I guess we will start with Live London. I thought it was probably the most entertaining uh, event from the last weekend. And Cam Smith gets his first win of the year on the Live Golf League. Shoots 15 under for the tournament. Finishes one shot ahead of Patrick Reed. But guys, the entertaining and exciting part of this golf tournament was the team portion. Now, Coming down the stretch on 18, Ripper was one behind uh, the four aces. And Mark Leishman and Cam Smith were both in that final group. The four aces did not have a player in the final group. And Mark Leishman, it's a par five. Mark Leishman hits its second shot over the green, just over the green. He ends up two-putting, makes birdie. Well, Cam Smith... Uh, who has a two-shot lead individually, lays up uh, to about 100 yards and then lays the sod, guys, over a wedge into the front bunker, but then in true Cam Smith fashion, hits a great bunker shot up there to about three and a half, four feet and has a nice little, you know, right-to-left putt. Uh, No chance that Cam Smith would miss that, right? We're headed to our first team playoff in live history. And fellas... Cam Smith plays too much break. He said he hit a good putt, but he played too too much break and misses on the high side. And the four aces win by one shot because Cam Smith ends up not making the par. He ends up making bogey on one of the easiest holes on the golf course at Centurion. The four aces finish at 34 under par. The Team Ripper finishes at 33 under par. Uh, Team Team Stinger was up there in that final round as well. But guys, T-Dub, that's where I wanted to start the show because I've never seen this in golf where a guy that won the golf tournament and Cam Smith looked that dejected after winning a golf tournament because he literally had the biggest and quote-unquote inside joke on the 73rd old podcast sneaky choke of 2023 because he wins the golf tournament by one shot individually but chokes off the golf tournament for Team Ripper. I thought it was really entertaining to watch. This tournament, guys, in my opinion, is the epitome of why Liv could really separate itself from all the other tours because you had the individual contest, which some will argue was done after the first three holes when Cam Smith birdies two and three. Leishman got it back to within within a couple on the back nine, so there was still a little bit of golf to be played at that point, but Cam Smith was still the overwhelming favorite at that point. So he had almost an entire, entire final round of knowing who the individual champion was going to be. 
But the team contest was absolutely exhilarating. You had Dustin Johnson on his last hole, which happened to be number one. He has about a 45-footer for birdie. He leaves it 10 feet short. And in the individual contest, it would have been a par putt for him to finish solo fifth versus tied for fifth. And it's like, who really cares about that? I mean, he does because it will be a little bit more money. But that ended up being the most crucial putt of the entire tournament. You've got to look at Cam Smith's final putt he missed on 18. But Dustin Johnson making that 10-footer on his last hole secured the four aces win at that point. So, it's, to me, Woody, it's so great because there's when you have two elements going on in a tournament, it can it happens decently often where a guy can have go out and dominate and have a big lead on the final day, and it's really not that exciting to watch. But when you have the team aspect to it and all the moving parts there, it, it was really the, the cherry on top of what was a fabulous golf tournament. You know, if you guys look at this deal, it just seems like it's just ironic. Uh, first off, they decide to merge or they're going to try to merge. Uh, then you have such an exciting deal here uh, where, uh, let's be honest, the other golf tournament wasn't all that exciting. And then you think of uh, how's a guy like Cam Smith bogey the last hole. Not, not that he just missed that four-footer or five-footer, but, but just to butcher that hole as bad as he did. And then tell me there isn't some pressure on these guys when it comes to their team event. As you said it best, here's a guy that just looks downtrodden. He just won four million bucks, right? <laughs> He won $4 million for his individual, and he looks like he's been beat to death almost. He just looks so bad. So I think if you start to look at this, and as each tournament unfolds, it might be the smartest thing PGA Tour ever did is to merge with these guys. And if they don't decide to go forward with the team aspect, I think they're really missing a big shot at bringing in more people to the game. Don't you guys really think this team things start to take off even more so I do and I really was indifferent on the team aspect until we actually went to a live event at live Tulsa and realized that a bunch of the casual fans out there really embraced the team aspect and I feel like as you know live becomes a little bit more popular or less taboo to the average golf fan let's say the PGA Tour fan and they actually just watch the tournament for what it is and forget about the whole politics of the situation uh, and it, just say that a PGA Tour event with just PGA Tour players had a team event right and did it exactly how Liv did it and forget about all the politics and all the Liv players and all of that that people would actually embrace this team aspect because what it did T-Dub at Live London, more than any other Live event in the past, it made a meaningless putt meaningful. And a guy that was just, you know, uh, waltzing his way to a victory, it made that last hole entertaining. Oh, 100%. I agree with everything you just said there. I, we'll, we'll talk about the John here in just a little bit. But, for example, Seb Straka, had he not doubled the last hole, it would have been a, a clear runaway with the tournament. And really, up until that point, even the last four or five holes, really weren't that entertaining over there because you knew that no one was going to catch struck, especially after Brendan Todd three-putted the, the par three. But but no, there, there's so many different cool, unique elements that could come from this that I, I think that it would be a huge opportunity at the PGA Tour once this deal is merged isn't going to get it done. You could have like Rory McIlroy's team. There's going to be a lot of people who want to go to him, and that's, that's going to be the thing that these really polarizing players are going to be able to capitalize on, sort of what Liv has done with the, the team captains having an equity share in their in their team and the success that they have. Whenever you have big-name players, which is who everyone wants to go out and see, I, we saw it at Southern Hills when everyone wants to go see the big dogs. We saw it at Live Here. Everyone wants to see 
the uh, and even some of the lower end players like a Lee Westwood, guys who had been famous in the past and been number one player in the world, but are even on the downside of their career, they're still players who look up to them and, and want them to do better. So yeah, I completely agree that the team aspect is 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 going to be a part of golf going forward. I know that for a fact. And speaking of team golf, I, I'll just say this: Ripper had a chance to win, obviously with Cam Smith and Mark Leishman backpacking. But Matt Jones finished down at T31, and then Jajaya Morgan finished 39th individually. So those two need to uh, maybe go back and reevaluate their games a little bit, Woody, because uh, when you have first and tied second in the tournament in the team, you should probably go ahead and win the tournament. Yeah, they're, they're a little weak on that bottom half, aren't they? For at least this week they were. And I think you're going to see some changes in some of those teams. We know one change that's coming, it looks like to me, is Brooks Kepka's team. And uh, we aren't even talking about that yet, but we might. Uh, but that's brutal how that team's uh, imploding at the bottom. Um, but good, bad, or otherwise, which I don't, I don't think we need to get into a bunch of mental health issues when we talk about golf, but it is a story, and it's a story why? Because of the team aspect. If it was an individual story, it wouldn't even be that big a deal. But the team aspect, in golf, we've never seen that, guys. Football, baseball, you know, basketball for sure. Uh, they'll badmouth each other at will. Golf, we've always been kind of, uh, I don't know, a little above that that kind of fray, but we're not anymore. So I think all these aspects are making – this team golf looked pretty doggone good as we head towards 2024. Yeah, it was an interesting uh, week for Team Smash, for sure. We never really talked about that on the podcast, I don't think, fellas. Uh, T-Dub, did you have any thoughts on the Matt Wolf-Brooks Kepka situation? My thoughts, T-Dub, were that... Brooks should not have said it in the media. It did come off like he was being somewhat of a bully when he said it. Now, on the other hand, it's tough for me to say that he was wrong in what he said, uh, considering Matt Wolf goes out this week and finishes DFL uh, of the guys that did not withdraw. Obviously, Paul Casey withdrew, so Matt Wolf finishes 47th in the golf tournament. Uh, to me, T-Dub, it's one of those situations where Matt Wolf does not know how good uh, that Matt Wolf is, and until he gets that security and confidence in himself, uh, then he's going to struggle. And it seems like it's just always something. Whether it's Liv Tulsa, it was the elbow, or you know, it sometimes it really was the mental health issues. But he just has to get to a point. Uh, where there are zero distractions around him, and it seems like you know it, a distraction is always there with Matthew Wolf. Those are my thoughts on on the team smash situation. Well, it's kind of weird timing from all this, right? Up at the Live Tulsa, we had been hearing rumblings that that Wolf had been dealing with a little bit of an injury and stuff, nothing mental wise, but actually physically. And then you have the situation that we had what, a couple weeks ago, where they say that he's going to he's going to go to a different team. We have that, and now we have Kepka coming out and saying exactly why that'd be the case, but Woody's exactly spot on with the fact of you hear these things in other sports all the time. It's just, golf. it's been an individual sport, so it's kind of been an unwritten rule that you don't bash another individual. That's just kind of always been how I was taught. Like, you can have some playful banter here and there, but you definitely don't go in the media and then particularly rip someone. That's uh, not, not the way to do things in my opinion. But we also saw this on Live even last year, though, guys, at the team event last year. Um, Harold Varner and James Pyatt were on the same team. I can't remember exactly. I think it was the cliques they were on. 
nevertheless, Harold Varner came out and was very outspoken about how James Pius was essentially looked like he stopped caring the last few holes of his match. So it was it's something that when you get competitors all around and you notice that one of your teammates isn't doing the things that you feel like they should be doing to be successful and you're not having that success, tempers and, and frustrations are going to rise. There's no doubt about it. So to, to me, Woody, I think this is just really just the start. If golf does start involving this team aspect on all in all realms of endeavor, like I think that they will, this is going to be a trend that we see going forward between between teams just because you're going to have minds that disagree and you're going to have someone who's playing bad. And, and especially in this case, Kepka, the team captain, he's going to expect more from the players on this team. Well, when you have a team captain, it's, he's kind of like the coach slash playing coach. Uh, you know, sometimes there's tough love, sometimes there's soft love, sometimes there's no love at all. Well, ooh, there was there was a lot of tough and no love at all on this one. And, and you know, they're playing for a lot of money. But when you have an individual that's going through like Matthew Wolf is doing right now, it might be best for him not to be on a team or not to be even playing golf right now until he can physically and mentally get back to a level where he can compete. And if he can't, he's not going to be the first guy that fell off the wagon or fell off the earth, you know, and and didn't ever come back. So it does happen. It happens a lot more in golf than people realize. So this is going to be a very touchy situation as we move forward. But Kepka, boy, he's already drawn a line in the sand. He's made it clear that he's not afraid no matter what it is. whether it's the mental health issues or injuries or whatever it is, he's going to call a spade a spade. He's going to call them out. He's going to say, hey, I don't like this guy. I don't like what he's doing for us right now. He's a quitter. I don't have quitters on my team. Sounds pretty cold-blooded. I agree with you guys. But is it anything but factual? That's what we got to look at. Don't get rid of the cold-bloodedness, get rid of just the rudeness, get rid of it being Brooks Kepka because that's what he is. Is it factual? Yeah. Yeah, it is. So they need to make that change. Matthew Wolf needs to go and have some time away and get himself back to where he is or was because we both, all of us know, guys, he was he's one heck of a good golfer. I mean, I've, I've seen him stripe it out there at Oak Tree on more than one occasion. So – He's got to work through his problems, but Kepka has already fired the, the shot now that this is gloves off when it comes to this team. <laughs> yeah. At least on that team it is. There's no doubt about it. And it, by the way, just to kind of wrap that up, it seems like the reason why Wolf did not leave Team Smash is because it was too late in the season to facilitate some trade uh, or transfer, as you know they say in soccer. Um, so I guess we were stuck with, uh, Matthew Wolf on team smash for now. Uh, also on team smash, it's kind of imploding because Chase Kepka did not finish in the top nine and he is in danger of relegation as well as we move toward the end of the live season. Let's go back up to the top of the leaderboard of live London fellas to wrap up live London at Centurion, uh, Cam Smith is playing some great golf. He obviously won last week. He finished 12th at Valderrama, 4th in the U.S. Open, 11th in D.C. the week after the PGA, where he finished top 10 at the PGA. 
Finished second in a playoff to Dustin Johnson at Live Tulsa. Seventh in Singapore. Fourth in Adelaide. He's having himself a really, really solid year. Uh, by the way, a top six at Mayakoba as well in the first Live event. Um, we just hadn't talked a whole lot about Cam Smith playing elite golf because he didn't have that win. Now he has the win, and T-Dub, it kind of brings my mind to where even when I was playing college golf, there's certain guys that play well at certain times of the year. And obviously, as we near the Open Championship, Cam Smith is the defending champion. And it seems like certain guys, like a Cam Smith start to play well at this time of the year because Cam Smith, we talked about Liv having the long offseason, and Cam Smith is one of those guys that takes the offseason off. He goes and does whatever. He goes and plays grab ass with his buddies over the offseason, and now he's really grinding, practicing a lot, and it seems like his game is really rounding into form for the Open Championship again. What kind of chances do you give Cam Smith to defend his Open Championship title here week after next? I think they got to be pretty high in all honesty, and this is the thing that I don't think people realize about Cam Smith. Yes, he went to live and got a huge paycheck from there. And he also won the Open Championship. And he also won the Players' Championship earlier in the year. And he also won the Century Tournament Champions last year as well. He had one of the best years that we had seen in, in recent memory. I, I mean, obviously, Scotty Sheffer last year kind of stole the spotlight and still has up. And then John Rahm and then Rory even did some things as well. But Cam Smith, for the last 18 months, has been playing exceptionally good golf. And just looking this up as well, he's still not even 30 years old yet, guys. Is that not crazy? He's 29 years, 11 months. So his birthday is coming up. Very soon, he's just been been out on the PGA Tour since, I believe, 2015-ish, something like that. So he's just been out there forever. And he is, you can argue, the analytics currently say Denny McCarthy is the best putter and Cam Smith the second. But if you tell me I have to make one putt, who am I going to pick? And even though Cam Smith missed a team uh, contest putt on the last hole, which honestly an absolute shock to me, I thought if there's anyone, like I just said, anyone who I'd want to have that putt, it would be him. So as long as that, that putter stays even remotely like it is, he's a very underrated iron player. He's gained over half a shot approach annually for the last three years. And his putting actually has gotten better over the last four years as well. So that's a positive sign to say that it just keeps trending higher and higher. And also a way to show you how good he's been playing just in events that aren't live. He's only playing in the major championships essentially. And he's still ranked number seven in the world. It's pretty crazy because he finished top 10 PJ championship and he finished fourth at the U.S. Open. So he's definitely trending in the right direction, Woody. I think that He's got to be on, at worst in the top five picks to win at uh, at the British Open. I'd be surprised if he won one of the top five picks for sure. Uh, as good as he putts and as good as he chips, his imagination around the green, his short games are just unbelievable. And I, I said last week when you were getting your eyes fixed, he's actually driving the golf ball very well right now. And that's something that we always question about Cam. Every once in a while, he gets hit in that driver a little bit crooked, but he seems to be driving the golf ball much better than what he was earlier in the year for sure. So if you give him the ball in the fairway off the tee as good as he putts, how he's not the favorite or one of the favorites, I find it hard to believe. But we all know who the favorite's going to be. It's going to be Rory McIlroy because everybody wants to blow smoke up his butt, Okay. I can't wait. Here we go again. Rory McIlroy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, 
I've already said enough. Or if I say more, it's going to get ugly. <laughs> uh, to round out the top five at Live London, you had Cam Smith at 15 under, Patrick Reed and Mark Leishman at 14 under. Then you had Louis Oosthuizen solo fourth place at 12 under, and then Dustin Johnson at 10 under in solo fifth place and four out of those five guys will be in the open championship by the way the 16 guys that are in the open championship from live are Abe Anser, Brooks Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau, Cam Smith, Dustin Johnson, Henrik Stinson, Joaquin Neiman, Louis Eustazen, Patrick Reed, Phil Mickelson, Richard Bland, Taylor Gooch, Thomas Peters and then the three qualifiers were Brandon Grace, Charles Schwartzel, and Laurie Cantor. Uh, T-Dub, last thing on live, uh, Patrick Reed shoots six under in that final round. His game is kind of rounding into form as we near major championship. That would be a wild story if we got him in contention at Liverpool. Once again, I, I feel like for even this Open Championship coming up, my whole focus is going to be on the Ryder Cup situation. Who's going to earn themselves a spot on, onto that top 12? And you look at someone like Patrick Reed. We were kind of talking about this in group text the other day, but what if he went out and won the Open Championship? Talk about how all the things that would be crazy from that. And we were talking about if if he does win, like someone like Patrick Reed or someone like that does win, will that automatically bump him up into the top six? And I'm honestly not sure of that. Because I, I, we were talking about in 2004, Todd Hamilton won the, the Open, the playoff over Ernie Els, and he wasn't on, on that team that was at Oakland Hills. That year probably should have been because we lost by like 11 and a half points or something. It was one of the biggest ass kickings the U.S. had ever seen. That was the year that uh, Tiger and Phil played together, Hal Sutton pairing, which was the biggest disaster I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. It, it, but going back to Patrick Reed, though, he, he is definitely trending in the right direction. If not for the first round this week, he would have probably should have won the tournament. He only shot one under in the first round, but shot seven under, six under after that point. And then you look at how he's done in the open in the past. He finished. 10th at uh, in 2019 uh that year then 2016 he finished 12th and then he finished 20th so he has a few decent finishes in there but nothing exceptionally high at the open um i believe back in 2014 as well which was the last time it was held at this course he missed the cut there but he was also just kind of coming out of college at that point so i don't know reed's not gonna be the guy that i'm gonna pick to win woody but i wouldn't shock me if he had a, a top 10 finish and i think he'd be a pretty solid play on a draft team's lineup or something like that well, I agree with that. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know that he can win the the British Open or the, the Open Championship, as we're supposed to call it. I, I would say to you guys, though, even if he wins, yeah, I, I, I still would not put him on the team simply because of chemistry. I, I just don't think that works. I, I you know, and I know we bashed him, and we know there's a lot of uh, issues out there with him. Having said all that. You just can't do it. You cannot. We got too many other guys to pick from is what I'm going to say, guys. I, I think we got a lot of good choices out there, and he's just not one of them. I mean, he just he's just a black cloud in a room, for a better way of saying it. I don't know how. I would not have him on my team. I definitely tend to agree with you guys on Patrick Reed, but it would be a fun topic to talk about uh, here on the 73rd Old Podcast and Sports Talk Radio if he were to make a little late charge uh, onto that Ryder Cup team. Uh, he would need a locked-in spot in that top six, though, and I don't think that that's going to happen. Uh, fellas, let's go ahead and move on to the Women's U.S. Open out at historic Pebble Beach. 
Allison Corpuz gets the victory. Shoots 69-70-71-69 to finish three shots ahead of Charlie Hull and uh, Jai Shin. Uh, she shot nine under for the golf tournament. Hull and Shin were at six under par. Uh, Corpuz was dominant in that final round, and I thought it was a little bit fitting, guys, that in Michelle Wee West's last Women's U.S. Open, uh, another Hawaii girl gets the victory. By the way, she from Hawaii and then uh, moved on, played her college golf at USC, uh, and now the 26-year-old is doing well on the LPGA Tour, gets $2 million for her victory at the Women's U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. What were your guys' thoughts on not only uh, Corpus winning uh, the the championship, but also Annika Sornstam saying goodbye to the Women's U.S. Open and Michelle Wee West saying goodbye to the Women's U.S. Open as well, T-Dub? It was a very fitting story for sure, the Hawaii connection. It's definitely deep because Corpus, actually, we talked about it on the radio show. Michelle Wee was the youngest to qualify for the Women's Amateur Public League. Corpus actually beat that record, which was substantial because he was only like 12 years old or something when that happened. And Corpus as well, she was, I think I saw where she hit eight, she hit 86% of her fairways this year or something like that. So she never misses the fairway. It's absolutely, truly unbelievable. And then she was the only player in the round as well to shoot all four rounds under par so it kind of made for a little bit of a lackluster few holes as she ended up winning by three and kind of coasted her way in it's a little bit off topic here but i have direct tv and i guess there's an nbc dispute with her so i didn't actually get to watch the tournament live lucky me but i saw the highlights of it and yeah it just looked like she was able to coast in it looked like she played some really smart golf coming in which is which was great it was great to see the women finally play at pebble beach i can't it just still blows my mind that it took till 2023 for them to play a u.s women's open there that actually still blows my mind even thinking about it and then reading this article here on espn which is one of the crazier things unless this is a typo which i don't think that it would be says corpus's caddy's name is jay monahan is that not the most unbelievable thing in the world Woody? <laughs> Well, I read the same thing and then read the article about uh, he's actually married. Um, gosh, I, I can't, can't think of the Kupka or Kupka. Or, uh, he's married to her. Uh, he's actually married to another LPGA star, okay, that went to Wake Forest, if I'm not mistaken. So, Kupcho. Yeah, that's it. There you go. Okay. I knew you'd help me with that, Sam. I, I, I got to butcher these names so bad. So without you to call out these names, I'm I'm toast. I really am. I can't do it. So um, the golf course, the way it was set up, if you guys if you did watch any of it, the rough wasn't as deep as when the men played. It sure as heck wasn't as long. Um, but it was still Pebble Beach, and it was still fun to watch it. Um, uh, I was really kind of pulling for the girl that was leading after the third round, but she just didn't play very good in the fourth round. Um, Nasa Hataoka, she shot 76 in the final round. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was, uh, you know, I, I, again, I don't watch enough women's golf. I need to watch more of it because, in a way, it's very boring, guys. Uh, they they hit it so straight, and they just hit a bunch of greens, and they two-putt a lot, and then every once in a while, one makes a pretty good putt. Uh, one gets on a little bit of a heater and does something good, but they're really boring to watch play golf. There is no real wild shot like you get on the men's tour. So 
Um, I'm not trying to be sexist. Please don't anybody call into the podcast and tell me I'm a sexist. I'm not. I'm a realist. They're boring, okay? That's what they are. But they're a boring fun to watch because if you want to look at what technically really good golf swings, the women have technically a lot better golf swings than the men do. Okay? They really do, guys. If you look at it, all these girls, if you look at them frame for frame, most of them, okay? You had that, that MB uh, that was a little bit goofy the way she swung the golf club, but uh, uh, most of them are pure swingers of the golf club. So if you're looking for a technical golf swing to follow, the women is a lot more fun to watch than the men. No, I agree with you. And boring golf is good golf, as we can all attest to. By the way, uh, tied for ninth, you had some big names. You had Rose Zhang, who ended up finishing tied for ninth at one over par for the tournament. Maya Stark, who played her college golf at OSU, also finished tied for ninth along with Rose Zhang. The low American for the Women's U.S. Open was Bailey Tardy. Woody, I want to come back to you for one final thing. T-Dub and I talked about it on the podcast. I mentioned it earlier. Uh, any thoughts on Annika and Michelle Wee's uh, career as far as the U.S. Women's Open go? Well, uh, you know, I think Michelle Wee, and this is just my two cents, I think she was a classic example of a burnout. She did way too much when she was young. She played way too many men's golf tournaments. There was way too much hype for her to ever possibly achieve what she was, you know, what everybody thought she was going to achieve, okay? Annika, on the other hand, was solid as a rock. She was a good player coming out on the tour and then turned into a really good player and won multiple, multiple times. Uh, I think Michelle Wee was good for the game in a lot of ways, but she brought a lot of attention to the LPGA. But as far as reaching her potential, she didn't even come close. Where Annika, on the other hand, just bust through and went, you know, up to the stratosphere with her career. Um, the only other woman golfer that I really think made an impact as much as Annika Sorenstam did was Nancy Lopez. Okay, so as far as that goes, I'm not bashing Michelle. I'm just telling you she had expectations that I don't think anybody could live up to. Yeah, and and you're right on the money. I mean, uh, Annika Sorenstam won 10 majors, three women's U.S. Opens. Uh, Michelle Wee West only won uh, one major championship coming at the 2014 Women's U.S. Open. Uh, so, I and by the way, T-Dub and I talked about this on the podcast, and T-Dub, final thoughts on this. I mean, I couldn't believe that Annika was 52 and Michelle Wee West is 33. That's crazy to me. It truly is. It just shows that how dominant Michelle Lee was when she first came out. It truly is mind-blowing. And then and you just look at the, the annals, right, of women's golf. Kathy Woodworth, Nikki Wright have the most wins at 88-82. Annika is, is third with 72. When you look at it, too, as well, every other player inside – there's only two players inside of the top. Let me get this right here. The top 18 in most LPGA Tour wins that are outside the United States. Annika from Sweden and Kari, Rev, Kari Webb from Australia. So it's been a predominantly United States dominant league, essentially, really for all of time, essentially. Everyone wants to look at the, the South Koreans now and the Japanese coming out and kind of dominating the LPGA, but they still have a long ways to go because these women that came before were just absolutely dominant for sure. And 
of all the women I ever watched play, Annika was by far the most dominant. We Rose Zang's coming out, and she might have a chance at some point. But to, to get to Annika, you are so many miles away at this point. It's not even funny. She played in the Colonial in 2003. Truly unbelievable. She did not make the cut. She didn't play very well when she got in, but it just shows the talent that she has. She has over 90 worldwide wins. She was the first player on the LPGA Tour to shoot 59. I remember it was right around 2002, 2003, that's when I really got in to start watching golf. And I didn't watch LPGA golf unless Annika played. And if Annika played, I tuned in. I watched almost every shot because that's how dominant she was. And it goes to show that if you get a polarizing woman out there on the tour to be able to dominate like that, you're going to be able to get a lot more eyeballs into the game because just the polarizing and the greatness that Annika would show was something that, as a golf fan myself, I had to watch when she was playing. And, you know, to add to that, that's the same thing Tiger Woods did, same thing Arnold Palmer did. When you have a polarizing figure like that, boy, you are spot on. The thing about Annika, too, is if you look at her golf swing, her and David Duvall are the only two people I ever saw swing a golf club that weren't looking at the ball when they hit it. And everybody says, boy, you got to keep your head down. Well, 90 victories later, her head wasn't down, gentlemen. If you, you watch Tiger right. Sorenstein swing the golf club, she didn't even look at the ball when she hit it. Her head was already rotated up and out. Duvall was the only guy on the men's tour that I saw could do that. But – uh, again, Dustin it blows Johnson a little bit nowadays, of right? When you're Woody? always out there watching those guys uh, teach or listen to me teach. Okay, keep your head down. You keep your eye on that ball. Well, really? Okay, yeah, to an extent. But uh, if that's true, how were they such great players? No, well, and Woody, wasn't the, the reason for, for Duvall and Annika to do that? It allows your chest to have more room to turn out because your chin and your head isn't in the way. Wouldn't that be kind of the main premise of that? Oh, it was the first. It was the first real example of rotation that everybody talks about now. Tw, they rotated their upper body out of the way. Their lower body was moving also, but their upper body was rotating out of the way. They were the first really that they pinpointed. They said, "Golly, look how far they're rotating!" Now and now everybody rotates. That's that's the way people play golf back in the old and old and olden days. Guys, it was all with your hands because the equipment wasn't good enough, the balls weren't good enough, all that wasn't. You just had to be really talented and anti-coordination to play golf. There's nothing like that now. You don't see that in very many players. I can't think of any real guys out there playing golf for a living now that aren't rotators of their body with the golf club. So that's evolution, guys. That's how it's changed. Everything's going with strength, better athletes, uh, we're seeing all this, and the golf swing is evolving with it. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Uh, as you were saying that, Woody, I, I mentioned Dustin Johnson. He kind of does the same thing a little bit as far as the uh, head coming up as well. But mainly, like you guys said, Annika made that popular as well as David Duvall. Um, fellas, let's move on to the John Deere Classic where we had Sepp Straka win the golf tournament at 21 under par. He got to 11 under for the final round. If he would have made birdie on 18, he would have shot 59. But, guys, he hits it in the water, ends up making double, made this tournament a whole lot more interesting than it should have been. Uh, But he does win by two shots over Brendan Todd and Alex Smalley. They're tied for second at uh, 19 under Ludwig Aberg, who we've talked a lot about, played his college golf at Texas Tech. He shoots eight under in the final round to finish tied for fourth along with Adam Shank uh, at 18 under. And then you had a slew of 
slew of guys right there tied for sixth at 16 under par. The big story to me about the John Deere Classic is Sepp Straka T-Dub has probably earned himself a spot on the European Ryder Cup team now. If you look at the European Ryder Cup standings, obviously you have the European points and then you have the world points. And on the world points... Right now, you have John Rahm and Rory McIlroy in the top two spots, but they are going to get locked in based on the European points where they take the top three, which right now it's John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, and Yannick Paul. So that means that the top world points getters for the European Ryder Cup team are Victor Hovland, Terrell Hatton, and Matthew Fitzpatrick. Those three are locked in. Then, as far as world points go... You have Tommy Fleetwood, Sepp Straka, Shane Lowry, Justin Rose, Adrian Moronk, and Seamus Power uh, would probably be your most likely Ryder Cup captain's picks for Luke Donald. Uh, but T-Dub, like I said, the story of winning the John Deere Classic, I, albeit you know a non-elevated event, the epitome of a non-elevated event, we always kind of joke about the John Deere Classic, but that win is probably going to get Sepp Straka Ryder Cup pick from Luke Donald, T-Dub. It probably is at the end of the day, and if not for the 59 watch of this tournament, it would not have been extremely entertaining at all. And and then made it, Straka made it interesting with hitting that horrible shot in 18, and obviously, he could have birdied that hole to make uh, to get to 59 as well. But he also could have birdied 17, the par five right in front of that. And he decided to, to not do that. So he makes a double, which not only let him not have 59, but opened the door for a lot of other guys to come back and potentially catch him and win this term. Actually, I'm pretty surprised that no one got to at least within one, got up to 20 under. Brendan Tyler the closest at 19, had an atrociously horrible three putt on 16. It's one of the worst three putts I've ever seen. A pro have. He had about 20 feet or something like that and blew it seven feet by and then missed the next one after that and so it was definitely no one was going out there and trying to catch Straka at that point and like I said made it for a little like day school finish but same as you Sam I'm just looking at how this impacted the Ryder Cup Straka probably got him a spot there love it Aberg someone who I've been compa- campaigning for for the Europeans and I think it's gonna be an absolute crime if he probably doesn't make it on there because he's playing so well right now he's the 55th ranked player analytically ahead of guys like Straka and other names that we had mentioned who could potentially been picked Cameron Young comes out and finishes six. How are we going to look at him going forward? I hope that a, a top six in the John Deere Classic doesn't make Zach Johnson think, oh, God, now i got to pick Cameron Young because his game just does not suit the Rome golf course whatsoever. It does not suit European golf at all. If we were playing here in the United States, and it was at Whistling Straits, I'd be a, a big campaign for Cam Young a little bit more. But but no, not not uh, when we're going across the pond like that. So I don't know what he – once again, especially a tournament like this, I'm looking at total – Ryder Cup moves, and there were some, some pieces being made for sure, but especially for the bottom the bottom four for the Europeans, uh, Luke Donner really needs some guys to go out there and kind of earn it, so it makes his picking a little bit easier. I totally agree with that. Uh, you know, the John Deere is still good for me because now that I'm into a, a powerful equipment, I like looking at all the John Deere equipment that they show. I'm trying to figure out the what I want. The tractor out in the lake, Woody, okay. did you see that? Yeah. They had the, uh... yeah, I mean, you know, and the, the excavators and the dozers and I mean, I'm I'm I've kind of turned into a nerd, guys. I'm I'm not watching the golf. I'm looking at the equipment. I'm going, hey, yeah, man, boy, I need that or I need that. I don't have the money to buy all that, but it sure looks good. So, Straka, he'll finish. I, I I wonder. There's a part of me that says he hit a really bad shot on 18. He did, 
but I'm thinking he might have gone pin hunting and he might not should have. I think he was still thinking he could shoot 59. I'm probably wrong. It might have been just a gag and he just hit it in the water. I don't know. Um, that, but when I look at that, Strzok has got to be a guy that, that Luke Darnold has to have on the team. He's won twice on the PGA Tour. That speaks volumes to me that he's won twice. He doesn't look like much of a closer to me. <laughs> so, But in a team event, he'd be a great partner because he can get a hot putter. Um, Aberg, if Aberg, you know, a couple of more good weeks, if Luke Donald doesn't go there, I'm going to be really happy because I don't want him on their team, guys. If he's on their team, they're getting tougher. With every guy they put like him on there, that everybody goes, well, he's not deserving. He's too young. He's too dead. Now, what he is, he's really good. So I hope we don't get him on there because he's going to be tough if we do. The American side, nobody did anything in that golf tournament. Screams to me. I'm like you, Cameron Young. I'm, I'm not a big, I, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of him. I know you two like him, but I, he ain't never showed me anything about being able to win. Now he finished high in majors. I know what his record is. You can talk to me all you want to talk to me about that. He's not won yet. Okay. So when the when the shit gets in your net and you're choking like a rat. I kind of want somebody that's uh, won a golf tournament uh, on my team. And I agree with what T-Dub's saying. I think Rome sets up terrible for him. They're going to set that golf course up where you don't want to be a bomber. You want to get the ball in play, a.k.a. Taylor Gooch. Hello. We go right back to that again, and we can beat that dead horse till it comes home. But the bottom line is, if you give me all those guys, if you put Cameron Young on that team and don't put Taylor Gooch on, I'm pulling for the Europeans. Yeah, and I noticed one thing with Cameron Young, especially in that final round, fellas. I don't know if you saw this, but we talk about how great of a driver of the golf ball Cam Young is, but he's gotten this weird, you know, duck hook off the tee box where, you know, he takes that huge pause at the top, and it looks like coming down the stretch, he can't you know, really getting that same rhythm that he gets in throughout the rest of the week. If you look at his stats on that final round, yeah, he gained about a half a shot off the tee. But before that, the, throughout the rest of the week, he uh, in the first three rounds, he was gaining more than a full shot off the tee. He duck hooked a couple of those tee shots, it, you know, on that back nine of the final round T-Dub. Uh, do you see anything in his swing coming down the stretch? Maybe that pause at the top of his backswing that's a little harder to control when you're, you know, under the gun, like Woody said, when you got the stuff in your neck. I used to say this about Hideki Matsuyama when he was coming out. He would get in contention sometimes. And this was back when his pause was a lot more exaggerated than it is now. And I'm thinking, man, it's so hard to time that. When you get the nerves going, you get that extra little tingling in your fingers and your hands. Man, it's hard whenever you have that much that much time going in from the transition from going from the back to the through, it just seems hard to be able to get your, your lower body and your upper body to be in sync every single time when you have to get a shot. So maybe Cam Young will kind of start steering to the way Hideki did. Maybe getting, you still have a little bit of a pause, but it's just not, it's not a second and a half long like it is now. And I feel like that he will have problems with that. We saw it a little bit in these major championships that he could have won. He actually had a lot of issues with, with his putter, which is why he should have won the uh, the PGA Championship at Southern Hills. But if not for his short game and his putter on that 16th hole or the 70th hole of the tournament, is what cost him there. So, no, Cam Young has a lot of promise. Still a very young kid. Hits the ball miles, which is something you're going to have to do 
nowadays. But but Woody, you could probably attest to this a little bit more. You've seen a lot more golf swings than me. When you have that pause at the top, it just seems like it's so hard to get everything in sync on a consistent basis. Well, I think you get out of sync is what really happens. You get out of sync, and what it does is it gets club behind him. Then he's got nowhere to go. Those duck hooks, if you look at it, he had another duck hook on Saturday. Sam, I don't know if you remember this one on the 17th hole. He had a low duck hook on 17. He just got lucky, hit the trees that came out. He hit three wood up there and ended up making a birdie, which was the ugliest birdie I've ever seen. Who knows where that ball could hit the tree and goes left. He could have made who knows what. But I think that transition, all I can tell you, some of the best golfers I ever saw, Ben Hogan's one of them, Byron Nelson is one. There is really, there was no pause at all. It was almost like their lower bodies going before their upper body stopped, believe it or not. Those guys were kind of locked and loads kind of guys. They didn't, they didn't have any close to a hesitation. So, um, I think everybody has to learn to play golf when they're nervous. I think you, that's part of the process. That's what Taylor told us. Remember, Sam, his, his novel he's writing. He had to learn to do it. And and what you have to do is be a realist. You have to look at yourself in the mirror and go, why am I not hitting this shot under the pressure? What's going on? And then you dissect it, you beat it apart, and then you figure out, okay, how can I hit the golf ball and play? Taylor's learned how to do it. Kim Young learned how to do it. I just don't want him on the team this year. I don't think he would be an asset. So I'm not trying to be – ugly it seems like i'm ugly today i'm not trying to be ugly i'm just <laughs> i just like to look at facts and that's a guy i don't want coming down the 18th you're, hole with a driver in his hand at rome to win it for the americans i just don't want it you're just comparing him to taylor gooch dustin johnson even guys like you know ricky fowler the other guys in contention jordan speed for one of those Ryder cup picks that zach johnson is going to have to make i agree with you i don't dislike Kim Young at all. I'm just trying to nitpick here to try to figure out which guy the U.S. should go with. Uh, do you have any final thoughts on that, T-Dub? That's kind of where I stand on Kim Young. It does sound like we're being hard on him, not trying to be. Uh, it just, you know, when you're trying to compare him to other elite golfers, you got to kind of, you know, draw the line somewhere. Well, that's 100% what it is. It's, it's the other people that you have compared him to. And I want to ask all a legit question. I'll both of y'all go to Woody first. Would you rather have Cam Young or Justin Thomas on the team? Uh, there's a great question, and I would tell you I'd still rather have Justin Thomas simply because he has been there and he's won. He's been at the Ryder Cup. He knows what the pressure of it is. He's won major championships. Cam Young's done none of those, okay? He's done nothing. So all I can go off is that. I, I think that Justin Thomas has a gear and he has a, something in his heart and his gut that it would allow him to grind it out. So I'd go with him, T-Dub. That's just me. It's a tough question. What about you, Sam? It, it's a tough question because when I'm looking at who Zach Johnson should pick right now, I don't think that I would want Cam Young or Justin Thomas, to be honest. I, I think the picks should probably be Jordan Spieth, Keegan Bradley, Colin Morikawa, and then Ricky Fowler, and then Dustin Johnson and Taylor Gooch. But if I did have to pick between Cam Young and Justin Thomas – I agree with Woody. I think that sometimes you just go with experience, and Justin Thomas has that experience. And even though he's putted like crap this year, sometimes when you get in that element and you know you have all the adrenaline going, some guys rise to that occasion, and Justin Thomas has proved that he can do that in the past. That, that definitely makes the most sense. I would probably agree. 
with that pick. So looking at it right now, uh, I'm going to go ahead and assume Ricky's on the team. I'm going to give Spieth a spot, give more a spot. And I'm probably going to give Keegan a spot. Keegan could actually earn a spot outright. He's currently seventh right now. So then you're fighting for, for two names at that point. So you get the likes of JT, Cam Young, like, how, like we just talked about, Sam Burns, Taylor Gooch, D- uh, Dustin Johnson, Cody Fina, and, and even Denny McCarthy, one of the best fighters in the world as well. So, I mean, you, you list off just those names right there. And I'm probably putting Cam Young at the, towards the bottom of that list. I'd rather have JT than Cam Young. I'd rather have Sam Burns. I'd damn sure rather have Taylor Gooch and Dustin Johnson. I'd rather have Tony Fino. And I'd probably, just because of the scores, I'd rather have Denny McCarthy as well. So even at that point, you're looking at the 12th spot. I'd, he would be down in the 15th or 16th, in my opinion, would he? All the guys you just mentioned, I'm, I'm spot on with you. The biggest question is, will he go to the list? If he doesn't go to the list, we still got to throw Tony Finau in there, even though he hasn't done anything lately. He's got great chemistry for the team, okay? So if he doesn't go to the live guys, which I think would be a foolish move on his part, right, then he's got to pick between those guys. And, and when it comes down to it, I'm going to go with a guy that has got some kind of proven moxie that is one, especially one on the PGA Tour, and – I'm going to go there, gentlemen. I just have to go to a guy that maybe has just a little something in his tank. When the the going gets tough, the tough get going, as they used to say. No, it's going to be very interesting. Zach Johnson has a lot on his plate. He could say uh, what Billy Orschel said at the Scottish Open last year to the live guys. We don't want you here, which I think would be a massive mistake considering the U.S. has not won in Europe. Get this, guys, in my lifetime, and I'm almost 30. So hopefully he picks the best team that he can possibly pick. Speaking of the Scottish Open, we will preview the Genesis Scottish Open coming up after the break as well as update you guys on the State Am going on up at Southern Hills. Before we hit a break here, I do want to remind everybody to go hit that subscribe button. It's the green button on Spotify and the purple button on Apple. It's the follow button on Apple. It's absolutely free and it just helps us out and it will give you a notification whenever we drop a new episode and we'll have great content coming to you next week for the Open Championship and also follow us on social media at the 73rd Hole on Twitter and at 73rd Hole on Instagram. Let's go ahead and hit a break here on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, the 73rd Hole podcast. Hey everyone, T-Dub here. I want to take a second to tell you about my good friends at McCray Roofing. Not too long ago, my roof was in desperate need of repair. There was extensive hail damage and I had many leaks that needed attention. Not only did Jeff and his staff build me a new roof, but they walked me through step-by-step of the claims process, which is something that I was very, very concerned about. Everything from the initial inspection of the roof to analyze all the damage to meeting with the insurance adjuster to make sure they were aware of every damaged area, making sure my claim was accurate. Their custom copper creations are truly beautiful and add a great touch to any roof. Not only do they do residential roofs, but they have an elite list of commercial customers, including Gallardia Country Club, Oak Tree National, and Bass Pro Shops. Check out their website at mccrayroofing.com to view some of their work yourself and give them a call at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. And 
we are back here on the other side of the break on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Speaking of golf, Oklahoma.org, that is your number one spot to see all of the results from the state amateur out at Southern Hills. And fellas, it's awesome before we even get into the golf tournament that Southern Hills is hosting the state am. That is an awesome opportunity for all of these guys and something that in every state, it's not necessarily the case where the best course in the state uh, is open to hosting uh, the state amateur. I think it's really cool that everyone out at Southern Hills uh, made this happen. I oh, could not agree more, Sam. We were talking about this during the break. I've been, I think I played in the, the state am after my sophomore or junior year of high school, somewhere around there. And I never saw that there's two qualifiers for people who don't play. There's always one in Oklahoma City area and always one in Tulsa area. And I had never seen before, even in times where it had been held at Southern Hills in the past, where both qualifiers filled up as fast as they did. I mean, there's waiting lists for the qualifiers for people to try to, to get in. That just shows how prominent it was, especially with the PGA being there last year, which was uh, absolutely great. So it, that, that makes people want to go play it even more. And I even saw some people at some of the qualifiers who were professionals two or three years ago who had gotten their amateur status back, probably one of the reasons, just so they could play in tournaments and at golf courses like this. So... Woody, I'm a huge proponent of it because I think it does nothing but grow the game. And uh, I just love the fact that historically great golf courses aren't going to be – you have to be somewhat exclusive, but you're not going to be so exclusive to say that we're not going to host the stadium here. I think they do it every four or five years or something like that. At least that's what the rotation's been in the past. And I sure hope they keep doing it because it is great to see just the, uh, the output and the amount of people that want to play in well, you know, we were in our break. I said I won my state amateur in 1978. That shows you how old I am. Or Sam was talking, I had one in Europe 30 years. I wanted it to green. Uh, okay, now I'm not bashing on the greens. Here we go. Somebody's going to want to beat me up. But if you look at the greens and you look at Southern Hills, I think I think I don't need to say any more than that. So <laughs> uh, the, the one golf course I, I would love to see a state amateur on, and Sam, I think you'll agree. So will you, T-Dub, is Oak Tree National. And the reason why I'd love to see a state amateur there, I'd want to see the match play. Because I think Oak Tree National would be a phenomenal match play golf course. Because there's so many disasters waiting for you out there. So, uh, you know, maybe Tom and Everett will look at that. I know, I know Tom, I know Everett Dobson does so much for the state of Oklahoma and golf. Maybe one day we can get one out there. I think that would be really fun to watch. What, I, there was I'm, one out there back in like 2015 that I played in. Uh, Jared, was it the stroke or the match play? It, it, was the, it was the match play because I lost uh, two and one to Jared Strathy who ended up going on to uh, K-State. I lost in the first round on my home golf course. What do you talk about clutch? Well, no, now that's not always true, Sam. You might have shot five under and he shot six. Okay. We'll so, go with that. Okay. Well, match play, you know, in match play, 18 holes of match play, let me tell you something, anything can happen. We know that. We've all been that that scenario. So there's times you shoot over par and win. There's times you shoot under par and lose. So it can happen in match play. But I, you're right. I forgot. We did have one there not too long ago. Well, we say not too long. It's almost 10 years coming up. So, uh, you know, it, it is a great golf course, and uh, we do a lot out at Oak Tree National. We do a lot of things to try to get as many people out there as we can. And speaking of that, you know what? One of the gifts or one of the silent auction events that we're playing this weekend in the Carl Albert fundraiser, 
Well, John Sandell was kind enough to give me a round of four at Oak Creek National that people can bid on. People can go online and bid on it and not even be playing in the golf tournament, Sam. That's pretty cool. I mean, that's, uh, you know, because getting a group on Oak Tree National, it's, it's, it's not that easy a thing to do. We've all tried. I know we've all had a lot of our friends say, hey, can you get me on at Oak Tree National? Well, not really. Uh, I can't, okay? I can play with you out there and you can play in my group, but I, I just can't call them up and say, hey, I've got some guys want to come play. It's just pretty tough golf course to get on. So, again, Terry Cosby, um, he's great for Oklahoma golf. We've seen that when we interviewed him for the PGA. He's such a class act. I think Southern Hills, pure just golf course, does the right things. Great facility, great people. They're at the top when it comes to that. They do it better than any of them. And they got such a phenomenal facility. It's just a great opportunity for guys to play. It makes me want to get my amateur status back and try. No, it really is great that they're having it out at Southern Hills. Fellas, let's dive into the actual golf tournament going on up at Southern Hills right now. Ian Davis is the number one seed for the State Amateur this year at Southern Hills because he won the State Am last year at Oklahoma City Golf and Country Club. And Ian is absolutely rolling through this golf tournament right now. He wins his first match 5-3, and three, wins his second match 4-3, and three, and wins his third match 6-4. and four. Uh, You have some other big names in this uh, tournament as well. Dylan Teeter is the four seed. Uh, he wins his second match four and two. He's four up through 12 holes right now over uh, Will McDonald. Uh, going down the list here, you got uh, Caleb Smith and Mesa Fleur, who Mesa Fleur, he's the seventh seed in the stadium this year. He plays his college golf out at UMKC, and we uh, we are familiar with UMKC because that's where I went to college, but Mesa has played some solid golf all year, uh, and he has made it into the quarterfinals of the State Am. Uh, Ryder Cowan is the three seed. He wins his first match uh, in 21 holes uh, and then wins the second match two and one. Now he's one up through 10 over Stephen Carney, who that's a really tough opponent. Stephen Carney, one of the best mid-ams in Oklahoma. Fellas, any other thoughts on some of these names uh, in this match play bracket? I love match play, especially on a course like Southern Hills. Uh, definitely, you know, one of those courses where they can set it up in certain ways to make, like, for instance, number 17, they can make that drivable like they did in the PGA Championship. And it's a very, very interesting course for match play. Sometimes it's not the best player that wins in match play. It's the guy that hits the most clutch shots at the most clutch times. One of the things I love about course setups when it comes to match play versus a stroke play is that you can set it up abundantly harder if you want to. You can even have Porky type pins on slopes if you wanted to, because it really doesn't matter if someone makes it a seven or an eight. It matters who whoever wins the hole. So there's there's a lot more things that you can do from from a design perspective that I really like. Really like to see that. And one thing we talk about too is that match play can lead to, especially whenever you see on the PGA Tour, it could be you know some uh, no, the number one seed gets beat a lot of times. You'll see something like that. It's like, well, how how did that guy beat that guy? Because at that stage, everyone is just so good and then on really any given day anything can happen at that level but even but still at this level uh, of state golf 
usually the cream will rise to the top, and I think that's what we're seeing at the start. Defending champion Ian Davis, too. I I, I played an abundance of golf with growing up. We He went to Deer Creek. I went to Chickasha, which were both high of A. Definitely rooting for Ian, one of the nicer individuals that you'll ever meet. And then, obviously, our man Ryder Callen rooting for him as well. Stephen Carney, he was someone I mentioned. I remember he played on uh, he played on the Latin America tour, and he might even had Corn Ferry status there for a while. I believe he played at Tulsa. So he, he was able to get his amateur status back, and he's uh, – I, I know him. He's a very, very solid player as well. So Ryder definitely has his hands full this morning. But, uh, no, Woody, it really is great to see all these great players really show out for our state at, at undoubtedly, in my opinion, the best golf course in this area. Hey, T-Dub, I want to make one correction here. So on the website, it's putting them like they already won the match. <laughs> so it, it's Ryder Cowan is only one up through 10 holes over William's side. Stephen Carney uh, – is one up through eight holes over Christian Johnson. So if if both of those matches stay put, then Ryder Cowan would play Stephen Carney later on in the day. Uh, for instance, uh, the Dylan Teeter match, he's four up through 13 over Charlie Jackson, and Will McDonald is one up through 10 over Dustin Wigington. So Dylan Teeter and Will McDonald would play each other this afternoon if both of those matches stay put as well. Those matches that you're talking about, Sam, those will be those will be a dogfight. Those are too close to pick. But um, Ian Davis, you know, I, I I actually helped Ian with his swing on number number of occasions. Ian Davis is one of those kids that could have just as easily guys been playing professional golf. I'm not sure that Ian quite had the killer in him. He, you know, Sam, you said he's such a nice guy. He is. He's just as good as gold. And he just didn't – he didn't like the grind of professional golf. I know he didn't, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not for everybody, gentlemen. Professional golf is not something for the faint of heart. I'm going to tell you that right now. You better have a lot of confidence, a lot of killer in you. So in these kinds of tournaments, Ian is going to be really hard to beat as far as a golf course like Southern Hills, Sam, you said it best. You can't fake it at Southern Hills. You either hit good golf shots or you lose. It's just that simple up there. You can't get away with anything up there. So if I'm looking, picking a favorite, Ian's got to be that. The other thing I come from this when I'm listening to you guys talk about it, them daggum kangaroos. Here we go again. Every time we turn around, we got a kangaroo <laughs> doing something. So uh, kudos to the kangaroos. Uh, you know, how about a, if they're not in the same bracket, Sam, how about a Kangaroo and Ian in the finals. Mesa Fulour right now, five up through ten holes over Ben Klaus, uh, who played his college golf at OU back in the day. Uh, if In his next match this afternoon, Caleb Smith is three up through ten ho- holes over Ryan Bell. Um, that would be an interesting match this afternoon as well. Um, back to Ian Davis real quick, Woody. I mean, people don't realize, and maybe they do around here, but people don't realize, you know, that Ian Davis, did he win or finish second in Q school? Do you realize how good of golf you have to play to finish in the top five, even in Q school? I mean, that's ridiculous, right, Woody? That's what I'm, I'm, I'm telling you. Ian Davis had the talent to play professional golf. He really did. That doesn't mean you're going to play professional golf, guys. We've talked this a lot. Um, just because you have the talent doesn't mean you're going to get there because then you have to look at the gut and you have to look at the heart. And I, I'm just telling you, 
as far as talent goes, Ian Davis had as much as anybody I'd ever seen as far as hitting the golf ball. I, those other aspects he was just a little weak on, like I said, it doesn't make him a bad guy that he wasn't a killer. Uh, that's, that's just what you got to be, and he wasn't that. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you that that's really not even fair, him playing against some of these guys, because he's older, he's more mature, and he has played some really good golf on that Corn Ferry and on that crawl plane school and those kinds of things you're talking about. This, this young man can golf his ball, gentlemen. I would not want to be playing him in a match. I would not want him. Can't wait to see how, how it pans out. Wish we were able to have some way of, of watching it just because it's on such a great golf course and going to be some great competition coming down the stretch. And I, I just love match play. It's another element I hope that they said that, for example, the WGC match play isn't going to be – it's not going to be a tournament next year. So I sure hope that match play in general can, can start being in more uh, golf tournaments because I think it is a unique format. It's kind of hard for viewership purposes when it comes to getting it on the PGA Tour at big stage like that. But I sure hope it comes around more because it, it truly is uh, a very, very unique and also just a, a great way to play golf in my opinion. No doubt about it. We will update you guys on who wins the State AM on our Sunday radio show live on the Sports Animal every Sunday from 10 a.m. to noon here in the Oklahoma City area. Fellas, let's go ahead and move on to our final tournament that we need to talk about. That's previewing the Genesis Scottish Open and your top five favorites for the Scottish Open this week and analytically uh, according to Data Golf, are Scotty Scheffler, Rory McIlroy, Patrick Cantlay, Tyrrell Hatton, and Xander Shoffley. T Dub, does your winner come out of those five guys? My one and done pick is just outside of that top five, so I sure hope that it is not the case, but it would not shock me at all just because those guys you just listed are so good. This, this Renaissance course they're playing, this is the fifth year in a row that they've held it here, so they've had it here other previous times. So there's a little bit of course history that you could look at to kind of build upon. So it, it's, a, it's got a lot of really cool holes on it. I think it's number 14, I believe. A little short uphill par four with, with the gunshot on the left, dog legs up, and then it's in between two really good par five, or par threes, excuse me, as well. So I don't know, Woody, this is a course that I, I really, really enjoy to watch. It's not the, the biggest proponent when it comes to driving accuracy. You can kind of hit it in a lot more places than, than you would maybe another golf course, but there are definitely your spots where you cannot hit it, uh, which is traditional of almost all links golf. But I do think it is a good good tournament to have the week before the Open Championship kind of gets the guys, uh, get their feet wet in the style of golf that they'll need at Hoyt Lake. So I, I'm a pretty big fan of this Renaissance Club. I, I've really enjoyed watching this tournament over the last uh, few years for sure. I, You know who I want to watch in this tournament? Um, the boys from Wilmington. I want to watch JT. I want to watch um, Ricky, see if Ricky's still on a heater, and I want to see what Jordan Spieth's going to do. Jordan Spieth's got to start playing better golf. He's got to get into the hunt again. He needs to get some good vibes under his belt, especially going into the British, at the British. He's got to do some things so that he's going to be strong when that Ryder Cup comes around. This is a great chance these next two weeks to show if JT can find some kind of game, okay? It's going to be big. It's also going to be big for Ricky. Is can he stay on this heater? Can he keep playing the kind of golf he's been playing? So I look at a lot of things here. But, uh, Sam, I think the winner will come out of those top five. Though. For some reason this week, I think the winner's going to come out of that top five. 
I think the winner's in that top five as well this week, but it's a hell of a field at the Scottish Open, even though there's no live guys this year like there were last year because uh, live ended up losing that lawsuit in the UK courts to where their players cannot play in this Scottish Open in 2023. But after those top five, you got Victor Hovland, Fowler, Fleetwood, Spieth, Wyndham Clark, Shane Lowry. You got Matthew Fitzpatrick, Max Homa, Justin Rose, uh, you know, Minji Lee, Adam Scott, Tom Kim, uh, Sungjae Im, a bunch of big names over there that are, you know, preparing to play in the Open Championship, it seems like the Scottish Open is how those guys kind of go over there, get accustomed to the grasses over there uh, across the pond, and the Renaissance Club is is one of the best courses on the other side of the pond, and so these guys really look forward to the Scottish Open every year, so it is a great, great field, but fellas, as far as the favorite to me is the favorite of the golf tournament. That's Scotty Scheffler. You guys realize that Scotty Scheffler has not finished outside of the top 12 since the CJ Cup? How ridiculous is that? He has not finished outside the top 12 in this calendar year. It's absolutely ridiculous how consistent Scotty Scheffler has been playing. Now, he needs to get the putter figured out, fellas. I mean, we talk about it every week that Scotty Scheffler would be blitzing fields. He would be doing historic things, Tiger Woods-like things, if he were even putting close to the tour average. Uh, But he's down, you know, not even in the top 200 in the world as far as putting stats uh, when it comes to professional golf. But, I mean, he's still putting that bad. He's still finishing fourth, third, 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 second, second, fifth, 11th, 10th win. You know, the guy is unbelievable, too good of a ball striker, and he has a 14.5% chance to win the golf tournament. Second is Rory McIlroy at a 6.8% chance to win the golf tournament. I mean, as far as my one-and-done, I don't have Scotty Scheffler left, so I'm going to have a different one-and-done pick. But as far as winning the golf tournament, give me Scotty Scheffler, teed up. Well, as you alluded to, he's been doing this, but it's still a historic run, even though he's only won, what, two times he won the Phoenix Open and he won the Players. But what he's been doing lately, especially with his ball striking, is of legendary proportions. He's gaining more than a half a shot average approach than the next highest player in Lickley. It's absolutely astonishing how great he's been hitting it. He's number one in off the tee. He's number one in approach. And he's also number one around the greens as well. His short game has been absolutely on fire. But he cannot putt. His putting is horrible. So if he just figures that out whatsoever, he's going to win by – he's not just going to win by one or two shots. He's going to win by four or five shots on a very consistent basis. So uh, everything besides the putter, he is the best player in the. And even you include the putter, he's the best player in the world. And his putter is absolutely horrible. And to also put it into perspective, he's made eighteen million dollars this year, eighteen point five million dollars with as bad of a putter as that is, Woody. That's absolutely unbelievable that you can hit the ball and do everything else you game so well, and, and just not figure out the putter. I, I've been a proponent the last couple of weeks. I think he needs to try a different putter. Just doesn't seem like he's he's seems like he's trying to force releasing the, uh, the uh, toe thing player that he has. So it's, uh, I, I don't know, but something's got to change on that end. But if he does get it figured out that putter, he is going to win, win by multiple shots on a consistent basis. Well, you would have to think this last couple of weeks that he's taken off, that he has been putting and putting and putting and putting. And there is a time that you can become too analytical. You can become too much mechanical. 
he needs to relax to see if he can roll the ball. If he gets the ball rolling better, he might make some more putts. But a, a player like that can only stay putting oh, it bad for so long, guys. He's got to turn it around at some point. We say that every week, and it hasn't happened yet. But when it does, we'll all come on this podcast and go, uh-oh, there you go. That's what he's talking about. So I'll bet you if you had to ask him, now, Scotty Sheffer wants one more kind of so-so week, and then he wants to get really hot in two weeks. Do those slow greens across the pond, T-Dub, do you think that it helps or hurts a bad putter? Oh, that's a really good question. I think a lot of that will have to come down to personal preference. They say by the numbers, they say the faster the greens are traditionally, the easier it is to make putts. But when the faster the greens get, it's harder to it's harder to match speed and line up in particular, especially if you're a little unaccustomed. If the greens are slower, traditionally what you can do is you can just take a little bit of breakout and hit them firm and know that you're not going to roll the ball too far. And also, too, on that element, the greens are a little bit faster. You can have putts roll out to three or four feet by, and if you're not putting very good, those are not putts that you want to see, especially if they have any bit of slope, which the greens are faster, they will slope more so. I don't know what he, I'd probably be on the proponent of saying that the slower greens would help the worst putter, but at, at the end of the day, I think it is personal preference. Oh, I think you're right, though. I think a slow green takes away the worry of three putts. So it gives them a chance, maybe, like you said, speed up for him to release that putter a little bit more because he's not afraid to let one get way by. So I think a slow green helps a bad putter. And the way I always looked at it, the worse the green, the better the bad putter does. The worst the good putter does. When the greens are really good, the good he can get the ball started on the line. He bad putter might miss his line, bounces, it does something crazy, and still goes in. Give me a good putter on fast greens. Give me a bad putter on slow greens. Yeah, I tend to agree with you guys. On that, as far as my one-and-done pick for this week, it's not as, uh, you know, there's no drum roll before this one-and-done pick. I'm kind of just, you know, scraping the bottom of the barrel as we end the season here uh, because I've used pretty much all the top guys in the world. But I do think I have a little bit of a value pick this week at the Scottish Open. I'm throwing a little bit of a Hail Mary here, fellas, because I have to pick someone that I don't think a whole lot of other people are going to pick because I'm in sixth right now in our one-and-done pool, and I need to make up some ground here quickly as we end the year. And, fellas, I think I have it figured out. Now, this is, remember, I said Hail Mary, but I'm going with a guy who has missed his last three cuts. Now, he did win an elevated event earlier on this year. Kurt Kitayama won at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. And remember I said he missed his last three cuts, but he did finish tied for fourth at the PGA. Last year, he finished solo second at the Genesis Scottish Open on this very golf course. And guess what he did the three weeks prior to the Scottish Open last year? He missed his he missed the three cuts leading up to the Scottish Open last year. So in my warped brain, T Dub, I'm going, he's due for another great tournament at the Scottish Open. <laughs> it's not a, not a horrible philosophy by any stretch. And then that's another guy who I think he's fifteenth currently or fourteenth on the Ryder Cup standing. So if he went out and won, there's another wrench that could be thrown into this whole deal. So no, I don't think that's a bad pick whatsoever. So my one and done pick. I'm going to go with Mr. Skill. Give me Matty Fitzpatrick. Thought I'd used him earlier in the year. I did not, which I'm very happy about. He's played this tournament all four years that they've had it at the Renaissance Club. 
And uh, the four years, he finished 14th, 42nd, 2nd, and 6th the last two years. So definitely a course that he likes and is, uh, has a little bit of familiar success with. He's made four straight cuts since he missed a cut at the PGA Championship. He did win the RBC Heritage in the playoffs over Jordan Spieth back then. Yeah, he started having a little bit bad golf after that, but then it has somewhat started steadied the ship a little bit. Last two events, he's lost strokes gain off the tee, so I'm a little worried about that. But I think him getting to a course where you're more familiar with, I think is definitely going to help his chances going forward. So give me a little bit of Mr. Skill, Woody. I think that he has a very solid week. Well, we know who's going to be on the leaderboard down the stretch. That'll be Rory, but then he'll find a way to blow it out with some crap or do something stupid. So he'll be up there. You know that. He'll play the first three rounds, four rounds pretty good, and then he'll find a way to piss it away. Uh, I'm going with Terrell Hatton. Uh, European, played some good golf all year long. Kid, uh, Tommy, uh, what is it, Kit? How does he say that again? Kurt Kitayama. Kurt Kitayama. I see. That's why I need you, dude. I can't ever pronounce those names. So I like that pick for for what more than what anybody else said. What TW said about he needs to do something. If he's gonna make the Ryder Cup team. He's got to show something quick. Well, winning at Scottish Open would throw a wrench into everything, okay? So, I like that pick, Sam. I, I don't know if he's going to play good or not, but I sure like the pick. But I think Terrell Hatton is going to have a really good week. I don't know if he can win, but I'm going to go with him. As far as best bets go for the week, fellas, I'm never an advocate of betting on golf because it's the stupidest sport to bet on. It's like throwing a dart at a dartboard. But I will say if you were to bet on golf, you would want to bet on golf with a strong field like this one because you can get some big names at some more valuable odds. And so, for instance, Scotty Scheffler is at plus 650. He's the favorite. Rory's at plus 850. But you can get names like a Ricky Fowler at plus 1800 or T-Dub's pick Matthew Fitzpatrick at plus 2200. Jordan Spieth at plus 2500. You got your U.S. Open champion, Wyndham Clark, at plus 3,500. Uh, Ludwig Aberg, who's been playing some great golf, you can get him at plus 4,500, along with Justin Thomas and Justin Rose. Uh, Max Homa at plus 3,500 as well. Sam Burns, who needs to play well to get on the Ryder Cup team, at plus 5,000. Uh, any you know value picks as far as that goes, T-Dub, in your mind? There is a value play that I like this week. I almost take him in the one and done. If I did not have Matty Fitz still left, I would use him. And that's Min Lee. He's been playing some very solid golf. He won this tournament back in, what was it, 2021, I believe. So just a couple of years ago, one on this course did miss the cut last year he played uh, in 2022, but also finished 30 at the first year that he played. So some good history here. But more importantly, though, guys, four out of his last five weeks, he's finished inside the top 18. Two of which were major championship. He finished 18th at the PGA, and then he finished, what was that, fifth at the U.S. Open. He finished ninth at the Travelers, and then he played the British Masters uh, just this last week and finished T15 there as well. So, now he's playing some very solid golf on a course that he likes. I would have, uh, I would run with a little bit of Minwoo if I had him, could definitely throw him out in some DraftKings lines. And you probably get some really good value on, on him as well. Maybe not necessarily to win the tournament. If you want to throw a, a, a high flyer out there, that would be. Yeah, but I definitely think a Minwoo Lee top 10 bet would be pretty solid. Plus 3,500 if you want Minwoo Lee to win the golf tournament. Good pick. That's pretty good, good value. I, I spent $10 on a lot, lot of stupider things in my life, Woody. I guarantee you. All those guys that Sam just mentioned that are up there, plus 2,500 plus. I mean, any one of those guys can win the golf tournament. So, I think you're right. If you're going to gamble, it's a great gamble uh, this week. Uh, 
put, put 10 bucks on about five or six of those guys, and who knows, you might score a big one. No doubt about it. Any final thoughts, T-Dub, on the Genesis Scottish Open as we lead into the British Open in Liverpool? Uh, what are you looking for from some of these other big names, uh, mainly like guys like Rory McIlroy or Victor Hovland, even uh, Ricky Fowler? We haven't really talked about uh, Patrick Cantlay or Xander Shoffley either, Jordan Spieth, any of these guys. Any thoughts? It's interesting to see because you'll you'll see who's getting in the form for next week at Hoy. Like for example, someone like Rory and Hatton and, and those Fleetwood Hovland, even Maddie Fitz, my pick. You're not worried about them making the Ryder Cup team, so that, that's not really a main focus. But those top guys, you're wanting to see who's in form for next week, and that's really the focus. And on the major championship, but, but once again, though, my main focus is going to be on who's going to be able to make that Ryder Cup team. Essentially, for both teams, is someone like your pick, Sam Kitiyama. Is he going to come out? and have a good week and kind of earn himself a spot up there. Is there going to be some other player that throws a wrench to it? Maybe Lovett Aper can go out and have a finish and solidify his spot on the European team. I'm just like Woody, though. I don't want him on the team because I feel like he's going to be a catalyst in, uh, for, for the Europeans. But also, too, it would give him more confidence going into future Ryder Cups because he would get the experience here. I think it would be a no-brainer for Luke Donald to not pick him, but hopefully they find out a way to not make it happen. And even look down, who's someone who's way down the list, and Justin Thomas. Is he going to get his game fired up and see if he can do it? But if he goes on, plays these next two events, guys, Justin Thomas, let's say, misses one cut and finishes 45th in there. Unless he does something miraculous in the playoffs, you're going to have to 100% look at other guys to fill his spot and potentially even live guys to get over Justin Thomas. So, yeah, there's a, a whole lot of golf to be played, a lot of moving pieces here, and uh, I really can't wait to see how the puzzle all finishes out. Justin Thomas is the biggest one. He's got to do something because I think, I think they're going to pick him no matter what, Sam. That's what scares me. So if you're going to pick him, let's get him back on his game because he, he needs to be playing some decent golf when we go to Rome. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Justin Thomas needs to get it figured out, and he needs to get it figured out on the greens. I mean, it seems like every single tournament he's losing shots on the field, on the greens, and, I mean, he finally gained shots at the Rocket Mortgage, but he lost over three shots around the greens. Um, his last five finishes, miscut, tied for ninth, miscut, miscut, tied for 65th. It's not been pretty for the PGA champion here at Southern Hills, Justin Thomas. The last guy, T-Dub, that I want to talk about is Rory McIlroy. We talk a lot about him not being able to win, but he's been playing some really good, consistent golf. Tied for seventh, second, tied for ninth, seventh, and seventh in his last five finishes. Uh, what are you looking for Rory McIlroy this week? What are you looking for from Rory McIlroy this week, and what would you consider a successful week for Rory McIlroy? At Rory's stage of his career, if he doesn't win a tournament, I think it's pretty much a failure of a, of a week, unless he's just trying to, unless he's been in horrible form and trying to get it. But he really hasn't been. He's finished top seven, or I'm sorry, top nine his last five events. And the main thing I'm looking for will be how is his putting going to be this week? His last five events, he's gained strokes gain on the greens, actually a decent amount. But the two years that he's played at the Renaissance Club, he's lost strokes gained putting there as well. And his chipping on this course around the greens has been absolutely horrible. He's, gained, uh, all, he's lost almost half a shot around the greens every time that he's played this course. So, no, I don't expect Rory to have an extremely solid week. I'll go ahead and say this. What he's going to probably be right at the end of the day is what he said earlier. But Rory will be my pick at the British Open. His time has is, is got to be coming, and it's on a course that he has won a major on in the past. So, I'm it will be definitely one of my one and done picks and probably my pick to win the tournament. But at least for me, I'm going to be looking at his putter because if his putter 
is off again this week, then you have to ask yourself, well, is it just the green tier that he doesn't like, or did he actually lose something? But if he does, if he puts well, then that's a good sign because it's a course that he hasn't played well in the past, and it shows that what he's been working on, him and Brad Paxton is progressing in the right direction. So we talk about Scotty Scheffler looking at the flat stick. I'm probably looking at Rory's putter even more so this week than, than almost anyone else in the field. I completely agree with you. And if you golf fans out there wanting to watch the Genesis Scottish Open live, it's six hours ahead. So just like the British Open, it's going to be in the morning, our time, if you're wanting to catch the Genesis Scottish Open coming up this weekend. Uh, last thing, I guess, to touch on, T-Dub, we have the hearing going on right now. Would you update people uh, on what this hearing is about? And then I guess, you know, we'll update people on Sunday on what may may or may not be said throughout the day. Uh, Just let the casual golf fan know in general what the heck is going on. Yeah, so if you're tuning on the golf channel, they're they're covering this event, which is going to be all day. It's the PGA Tour and PIP Senate uh, subcommittee hearings. They've got uh, Jimmy Dunn's currently speaking right now. He's got all of Senate in front of him so he's detailing some things i can't hear what he's saying right now because we're got my headset on but but no there's there'll be some developments that probably come from this this is not an antitrust investigation from my understanding it's more of a can a foreign entity have a major majority stake in what would be an american entity and institution so that that's sort of what they're looking at, at least from my understanding what what will come from this i don't know i listened to a little bit of it before we got on the uh, before we started doing the podcast and it's just the traditional stuff from the opposers of live is what i heard from a lot of the uh, the senators that were speaking so we'll, we'll see what comes from this as the day goes on but as of right now there hasn't been any uh, news breaking or anything extremely um, new that has been uncovered at least from my understanding Good stuff. We will be back, like I said, on Sunday at 10 a.m. local time for our 73rd Hole Radio Show. And then we will be on the air. I will be on the air on the Sports Animal all week throughout British Open Week. And we'll also be doing podcasts. So definitely make sure to subscribe to the 73rd Hole. It's absolutely free. And it will just give you a notification whenever we drop a new episode episode everybody enjoy the golf this week the genesis scottish open will be great to watch as well as the state am if you're here in oklahoma definitely tune in to golfoklahoma.org to see all of the great stories and results from the state amateur out at southern hills woody thank you t-dub thank you this has been sam humphreys on oklahoma's leader in golf the 73rd hole podcast <laughs>